Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast is a production of Callan Communications, publishers of the Pennsylvania Business Report. PBR is the daily must-read source for news about the latest business and policy developments that serve as a catalyst for economic activity in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You can find PBR on the web at www.penbizreport.com. And welcome to the Pennsylvania Business Report podcast. I am your host, Jim Murtha. Millions of years ago, fate and massive geologic forces conspired to place an immense shale deposit beneath the territory that one day would become the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. That deposit, which we now call the Marcellus Shale, contains trillions of cubic feet of natural gas that, until about 10 years ago, remained locked away because we weren't up to the task of retrieving it. What changed was drilling technology. More specifically, horizontal hydraulic fracturing, or fracking as it's commonly known by. Fracking uses hydraulic or water pressure to crack the shale rock releasing the gas or it's piped and trucked to locations where it's consumed. For Pennsylvania, the natural gas industry has transformed many of the producing counties, enriching property owners and all levels of government through impact fees or taxes on the gas. Governor Tom Wolf, as he has for the past seven years, is asking for more from the industry through the imposition of a severance tax on drillers. The new levy will add millions more to the state coffers and add costs to extract the gas. Proponents of the new tax claim it is a fair share contribution to the state that makes the natural gas industry possible. But industry insiders say they already pay enough through impact fees, corporate taxes, and income taxes to the state, and the severance tax is counterproductive and punitive. To get an insider's view on all this, we have invited Stephanie Caterino Wisman to today's podcast. Stephanie is based in Harrisburg and is the regional director for the American Petroleum Institute, the trade association for the oil and gas industry. Stephanie Caterino Wisman, welcome to the Pennsylvania Business Report podcast. Thank you for having me, Jim. Okay, let's get started with our governor, Governor Tom Wolf. He has, again, proposed a severance tax on the natural gas extracted from Pennsylvania's Marcellus Shale deposit. You and your organization, the American Petroleum Institute, as well as a multitude of businesses and consumer groups, have said the tax is a bad idea. Why is that exactly? Yeah, well, thanks for the question, Jim. And and for the record, this is the seventh time that Governor Wolf has called for a severance tax on the natural gas industry in Pennsylvania. Well, but who's counting? Who's counting, right? right? We're keeping the score, <laughs> and and each proposal is slightly different. You know, name something different is going. The revenues of a severance tax will be used for different things. Uh, this time around, um, he's labeled it as the Back to Work Pennsylvania Plan, and this particular plan uh, advocates for uh, borrowing three billion dollars to pay for COVID-19 recovery efforts. And then the uh, proceeds revenues coming in from a severance tax on the natural gas industry would pay off that debt uh, over 20, 25 years. That's the latest iteration. 
And, you know, Pennsylvania has led the way in energy production and environmental progress. And, you know, Governor Wolf's severance tax, quite frankly, would undo this progress, undermine our economic recovery and risk good paying jobs supported by the natural gas industry. And I really need to point out as well that the natural gas industry already pays a unique tax in Pennsylvania. It's called the impact fee. Now, it says fee in law, right? But let's call it for what it is. It's a tax. It's a a unique tax on this industry. And that has contributed nearly $2 billion to date since 2012. And that's going to all 67 counties in Pennsylvania for road and bridge repairs, water and sewer upgrades, public safety projects, um, environmental programs such as Growing Greener grants, among other things. And those were um, approved uses outlined in Act 13 of 2012. Okay. Um, The Delaware River Basin Commission recently voted to permanently ban hydraulic fracturing uh, fracturing in seven counties located mostly in northeastern Pennsylvania. What's the impact of that? Yeah. So the seven counties that you talk about specifically um, are Carbon, Lackawanna, Luzerne, Monroe, Pike, Schuylkill, and Wayne counties. And all of those counties sit entirely or partly over the Marcellus Shale, which is the largest natural gas field in the nation. And this region is missing out on good paying jobs supported by the industry, local and state revenues, and abundant and affordable natural gas. And I'd like to give you just a little bit of history, you know, on this on this whole DRBC, you know, issue. So the Delaware River Basin Commission, it's a federal interstate government agency that's responsible for managing the water resources within, I believe it's almost 14,000 square miles of the Delaware River Basin. So it's an interstate compact uh, and there are five commission, the five commission members are the governors of the basin states, which include Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, and the commander of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, who represents the federal government. So that's the makeup of the commission. And about 40% of the Delaware River Basin sits atop the eastern edge of the Marcellus Shale. So a little bit of history now. So the first rulemaking of the DRBC impacting hydraulic fracturing operations was initiated in 2010. So this is 11 years Mm -hmm. now. And essentially, we fell into this 11-year de facto moratorium on natural gas operations. So then, you know, what the, what, the basin, uh, what the commission basically said is, okay, look, we are going to promulgate a regulatory package that will govern natural gas development within the basin, but we're pumping the brakes and we're, we're hitting the pause button because we don't want any drilling going on while we're promulgating this package. So they sat there for about seven years and then decided that they would revise um, a set of proposed amendments to the commission's, what they called the administrative manual and special regulations regarding hydraulic fracturing uh, activities. And that was published for public comment in November of 2017. So API was involved in that. We submitted extensive comments and we emphasized that the proposed regulations were unnecessary. We felt they were duplicative and uh, conflicting with Pennsylvania DEP's oil and natural gas regulations. And they did not respond to a legislative mandate or clearly demonstrate factual need. So, you know, in, in, in saying that, it suffices to say, you know, for the past decade, DRBC has blatantly ignored sound science. Um, a robust regulatory system and strict industry standards that protect the environment 
and public health and neglected the rights of private property owners and consumers' needs for low-cost, reliable natural gas. And the natural gas industry, as well as numerous other entities, you know, including business groups, manufacturers, as well as state lawmakers, have all characterized DRBC's decision as misguided and politically charged. It's, it's a politically charged overreach. Um, and over the years, the industry has urged the commission to please consider the scientific data, the available studies, state and federal regulatory frameworks, the industry's best practices, um, the significant technology and engineering advancements in the industry that make safe and significant, that makes safe and responsible natural gas and oil development possible. So finally, you know, just to close out this whole DRBC decision, there is no doubt it's politically motivated. It's a politically motivated move. It's a missed opportunity to harness abundant energy from Pennsylvania's vast natural gas resources to power not only our state, but to power the nation, create good paying jobs and generate much needed economic revenue and growth. Well, it seems to me, I mean, where are the landowners in all this? Don't they have rights as well? I mean, uh, uh, you know, you earn a piece of land and they you're do. entitled to um, harvest the resources below it. Uh, given certain considerations. Uh, has anybody tried to take the DRBC to court on this? There were a couple uh, scenarios that, yes, there is a landowners group up in Wayne County that is involved in this. Uh, I know that there's also a um, lawsuit that is coming out of the Pennsylvania State Legislature as well. A couple of state senators have also taken the DRBC to task in court on this. So it remains to be seen how this will eventually turn out. But you're right. I mean, landowners absolutely do have rights and they are missing out on this significant opportunity for their region. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's go to our state here um, exclusively. Um, the forces aligned for and against natural gas in Pennsylvania seem to have a east versus west breakdown. Counties in the western part of the state where most of the natural gas is extracted uh, are mostly for it. And the counties in the east and particularly in Philadelphia, where I am, are, are against it. Let's suppose you're talking to a legislator from, say, Philadelphia, which I'm sure you have. Uh, what do you tell that person to convince them that natural gas drilling 200 miles away from their district is a good thing to support? Sure. Well, you know, no matter what corner of the Commonwealth that you live in, we all benefit from reliable, affordable and clean natural gas. You know, if you think about it, Jim, most aspects of our daily lives are touched in some way by energy from natural gas and oil. Absolutely. Right. You think yeah. about it, you know, from the roads we drive on to the medicine we take and to the clothing we wear, you know, you're hard pressed to really figure out or, or identify something that you do in your daily life that isn't impacted in some way by energy and, and the byproducts coming from those energy resources. And, you know, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about its role in the COVID-19 uh, recovery era here. So natural gas even plays a role in the fight against covid the hydrocarbons and clean natural gas produced right here in Pennsylvania provide the feedstock for the chemicals and the plastics used to produce gowns, masks, face shields, and gloves that are needed to respond to COVID-19 and care for patients. These uh, hydrocarbon byproducts are also a building block for the vaccines that uh, we're all going to be uh, going after here. I would venture that most people don't know that. Yeah, we have to we have to do a better job as an yeah. industry, frankly, and and letting them know that and to educate them on that. And, you know, in, in your scenario here of, you know, talking to, you know, folks from the southeastern part of the state. In addition to that, I would also say that natural gas has also allowed us to reduce emissions 
So with the increase of natural gas consumption, and particularly when you're looking at power generation, the U.S. has reduced carbon dioxide emissions to their lowest levels in a generation. So that's with CO2 emission reductions. Then you look at methane emissions reductions rates, and they've decreased by nearly 70% when you're looking from the years between 2011 and 2018. They've decreased nearly 7% in the largest producing regions, natural gas, you know, natural gas and oil producing regions, and that includes Appalachia. So when I say Appalachia, I'm talking about Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, Uh, you know, even as combined production, those regions have tripled. So when you look at how much we're producing and how much we're able to reduce CO2 and methane emissions, it really is amazing. And these are made possible by the more use, utilization of natural gas and, and industry innovation. And then if you want to talk about jobs, uh, in addition to the environmental benefits, as I mentioned, natural gas and oil, the industry supports nearly 500,000 direct and indirect jobs in Pennsylvania. And this is all across the Commonwealth. And when I say that, I'm talking about jobs in the production sector, midstream sector, which is your transportation of the product to the downstream side, to the service and supply. So essentially jobs with when you're um, producing the resource all the way to your gasoline station attendance. Those are the jobs that we're talking right. about. And and let's talk about salaries. Let's talk about salaries with the industry. So industry related jobs are good paying jobs too. So in 2019, Jobs in the nat gas and oil industry, and specifically when we looked at the upstream sector, which is your production, exploration and production sector, nationally had an average salary of of almost $120,000 per year, which is twice the average salary of $59,000. Well, um, it's no doubt that uh, the impact that the industry has on the state is considerable, but that doesn't stop environmentalists, and they have been very creative in how they obstruct the industry from doing business. Uh, it seems like they're focusing their attention more on pipelines now since they failed to stop drilling. What's that battle been like, and uh, how does it look going forward? Yeah, so pipelines are the safest, most environmentally friendly way to transport energy And the economy cannot recover at full speed unless we deliver reliable energy from where it is, from where it is to where it's needed. So preventing pipeline projects is a significant step backward, both for environmental progress and our economic recovery. So Pennsylvania, we rely on pipelines to safely transport all of these products. And Jim, it's important to consider that there are over 3000 miles of liquid pipelines in the state along with over 10,000 miles of natural gas transmission pipelines that safely transport energy products. So this infrastructure is an essential component in connecting production to markets and even to our homes. And I want to talk about the safety record uh, of the pipeline. So the industry is committed to the safe operations. Our record is a 99.99% safety record of the oil, petroleum products, and natural gas is delivered safely to their destination via pipeline. Our goal, of course, is zero incidents, but I think 99.99% is not bad. And I don't know that any other industry, I would maybe say few industries, can claim this kind of a safety record. And behind the scenes, pipeline operators are regularly inspecting the pipelines with the -the state-of-the-art diagnostic tools. Uh, They're regularly inspecting pipelines with state-of-the-art tools, as I mentioned, conducting preventative maintenance and monitoring their safe operation. 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Now you had asked about, you know, what, what's this battle been like? And I will give you the, probably the most, you know, glaring example is the cancellation of the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. I've heard about it. Yes. So right after President Biden was sworn into office, one of the first things that he did is he decided that he was going to, with a a stroke of a pen, uh, cancel the construction of this pipeline. And it's important to note the pipeline's been through more than 10 years of extensive environmental reviews. And, you know, the cancellation, it is a slap in the face to the thousands of union workers who are already a part of this safe and sustainable project. You know, it's misguided. Um, It's going to hamper our country's economic recovery, and it's going to undermine North American energy security and strain relations with one of America's greatest allies. And it's important to say, you know, with smart regulations, we can continue to meet our shared goals of reducing emissions, protecting public health, developing affordable, reliable and cleaner energy. And, and look, we will work closely with the Biden administration as it conducts regulatory reviews that may impact our industry. But I will say it's very disappointing that, you know, he, he made this decision and is politically motivated yep. without a doubt. My understanding is that the oil is still being shipped down to the Gulf anyway. They're just using trains rather than pipelines. That's right. They're using other modes of transportation. That is correct. So I guess one would rightly ask, what exactly are you proving by canceling the pipeline project? Well, that's right. That's exactly right. I mean, that's that's the safest way to transport this product. And it is, it is, it, it's, you know, delivered to our refineries here in our country mm-hmm. uh, that can refine the product safely and responsibly. Well, uh, you mentioned the president and, you know, going back uh, into his campaign and particularly in his campaign, depending on when he was asked, President Biden or then Senator Vice President Biden is either natural gas's staunchest enemy or its greatest friend. From what you've seen so far out of the administration, which Biden are we seeing? Yeah, good question. Uh, You know, on the campaign trail, you know, Biden vowed to stand up for working class families and union workers. And while the president may not use the term ban or he may not vote to enact one himself, he's placed an indefinite moratorium on federal leasing and shows that he'll support the efforts of others to prohibit fracking on private lands. And the example was the DRBC that we talked about. Right. You know, now I will say, you know, his representative through the Army Corps of Engineers with that decision uh, abstained from that vote, saying that they didn't have enough time to look at the proposal. Well, you know, I think you can take a look there and say, well, you know, then, you know, truly, if you believe in this industry and the jobs that it creates and everything else, you would have voted uh, against a moratorium on drilling in the DRBC. So that's just a side note there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Biden's move to restrict development on federal lands and waters, by the way, because federal lands includes, you know, offshore drilling as well, is nothing more than a, you know, import more energy policy. How much drilling was actually going on on federal lands anyway? A a significant amount. Oh, there was. Okay. Yeah, significant amount. I believe between 25, 30%, I want to say, nationwide. I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah. Now, you know, less in some states, more in others. But, you know, it's a significant amount and it's the precedent, quite frankly. It, it's the signal that it sends that this industry can't produce this 
resource safely. I mean, what's the difference between producing it on private land versus federal land? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it's jeopardizing uh, significant revenues that are coming into the state and federal coffers as well by by putting a, a moratorium on those types of activities. Yeah. Well, so, you know, that's, that's what we're looking at here. Let's, let's stay with President for a second. He just released a nearly $2 trillion quote-unquote infrastructure plan, and I use that, that term rather loosely. Um, is there any plans in that bill to uh, expand the natural gas network? Is it agnostic on it, or is it standing uh, in front of it so nothing happens as far as natural gas development is concerned? Yeah. Well, we support the Biden administration's goal of modernizing the nation's infrastructure without a doubt. You know, and that includes right. roads, bridges, rail and ports. Um, you know, we also welcome the administration's effort to address the risks of climate change by incentivizing innovation for technologies such as hydrogen and carbon capture, utilization and storage, other, otherwise known as CCUS. And that is part of the infrastructure package. But at the same time, the proposal misses an opportunity to take an across-the-board approach to addressing all of all of our infrastructure needs, including modern pipelines. So no, there is nothing in here at all to expand the natural gas network. And as a matter of fact, you know, there's there's some language in this proposal as well where they're targeting specific industries with new taxes that would only undermine the nation's economic recovery and jeopardize, you know, good-paying jobs, including union jobs. And, and one thing I would like to say, Jim, too, because it, unfortunately it, it's out there, this misinformation, but it's important to note that our industry, the natural gas and oil industry, receives no special tax treatment and will continue to advocate for a tax code that supports a level playing field for all economic sectors, uh, along with policies that sustain and grow the billions of dollars in government revenue that we help generate. The United States recently rejoined the uh, Paris Climate Accords, which President Trump said was a bad deal for the U.S. and pulled us out, uh, much to the dismay of a lot of environmentalists and uh, climate people, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, but even after leaving the accord, the U.S. was the only participant, as far as I know, to actually lower gas greenhouse gas emissions. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely, we did. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, we, and I'll tell you this, Jim, I mean, we are climate leaders in this country. You know, we're the only country that actually is, you know, reducing climate emissions, whether you're talking CO2, VOCs, methane, you know, whatever, whatever it is, what I had mentioned before, but we have, we have unbelievably dented into that environmental progress that we've needed to do. And, you know, we recognize, our industry recognizes that the risks of climate change are real. And that's why API spearheaded the environmental partnership to continuously improve our environmental performance. So that's a voluntary partnership. And we have more than 90 companies, domestic companies, representing more than 70%, okay, of the country's onshore oil and natural gas production. As I said, they voluntarily joined this initiative to aggressively reduce air emissions, both methane and VOCs, from our production sector and transmission segments. So right. that is from the production of the resource to the transmission of it. And, and we recently, API recently rolled out a five-point climate framework that mitigates emissions from operations and accelerates technology and innovation. So, 
you know, we've long held that any action to address climate change, it's got to be global in nature. And that's why we support the ambitions of the Paris Agreement, including the global action to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions and to alleviate alleviate poverty around the globe. I mean, that's really important. And, you know, you take a look at, too, about what how much of the energy portfolio that natural gas and oil is going to continue to to be. So models are showing that this agreement between nations cannot be achieved without access to natural gas. We cannot, bottom line, meet climate reduction goals without the natural gas industry. So that's why, you know, we're going to continue to advocate for expanded, you know, LNG exports as a path for, for, or as a transition for countries toward cleaner fuels can we still and making do that? sure can that people in developing LNG? nations have access to electricity. Okay, I thought maybe that was in somebody's crosshairs uh, somewhere yes, we can. that infrastructure bill. I, I've learned over the years to uh, greet with suspicion any bill that's over two pages. And, and this is like, you know, in the thousands. So I, I, <laughs> I worry about the, uh, the fine print and in, in pieces of legislation like that. So, okay, let me get you out of here on this. Um, looking forward in the next five to 10 years, what challenges are ahead for the natural gas industry and how do you think you'll address them? Well, to meet the ever-increasing demand for efficient and cleaner sources of energy, natural gas development in Pennsylvania and across the country must continue to be part of the solution. As I said, you know, by 2040, models show that natural gas and oil will still be nearly half of the global energy mix, 46% to be exact. So now the global leader of natural gas and oil production, you know, our country set the standard for safe, reliable, and affordable energy while supporting more than 10 million jobs across the nation, driving nearly $290 billion of capital investments and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So Pennsylvania, we're the second largest natural gas producer in the nation. And I mentioned earlier, you know, we, our industry supports nearly 500,000 jobs and adds $78 billion to the state's economy. So it's quite significant. It really, really is. And it is a lot. And, and, you know, we're also the second largest net supplier of total energy to other states. So natural gas production has also paved the way, as I mentioned, for significant reductions in emissions. And when I talk about, you know, our modern way of life, I mean, we would not have our modern way of life without the byproducts from natural gas and oil. I mean, yes, you know, it is so important that we provide the energy that our nation and the world needs, but we're also providing them with the with the products that they need to to lead a modern life, whether it's pharmaceuticals that we're talking about, modern medicine transportation. I mean, you name it. Like I said, I mean, we wouldn't have any of it without this industry. So, you know, as we focus on recovery and building out, you know, building back our economy, we need policies that encourage, not discourage, natural gas development and the critical infrastructure that supports it. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Stephanie Katarina Wisman of API, thank you for sharing your expertise and your thoughts on this most interesting subject. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. The preceding podcast was a production of Callan Communications, publishers of the Pennsylvania Business Report. To submit your ideas for future programs, just go to www.penbizreport.com. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Jim Murtha. Be well, be safe, and be prosperous.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.